Good morning. Got some some of my regulars over here. I never see you this close to me. I don't know if I can preach with you, not in the balcony, but it's great to have you. What is in the goodie sack today? What is your favorite fruit? Apple. Hey, 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 hey. You wish. Strawberry's awesome. Peach. We live in Ruston. You got to like peach, right? Good fruit. Um, banana. Who likes bananas? The first one over at the door after church gets these, okay? Now, here's my favorite fruit, the orange slice. <laughs> I'll tell people I love orange. Oh, you take the orange and you slice. No, I go to Walmart and I buy them in this little package and they got sugar all over them. These are really, do y'all like these, young people? No? Anyone who does not like these needs to come and be saved this morning because... I'm not sure Jesus is in your heart if orange slices don't taste good to your mouth. Anyway, we're talking about fruit this morning in Genesis chapter 2, and I'll give those orange slices away to the first 50 customers at that door also. Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and we're talking about fruit, and we think about fruit oftentimes as being that product, that fleshy sweet product of a tree, but a fruit biblically and in life can also be defined as the, the result of something. You work or you endeavor, and what you get, the consequence of that or the result of that, we might say, is also the fruit of that. And we're talking about the fruit that Adam and Eve ate that they shouldn't have and the result, the fruit of their behavior. Very important. With the baby dedication, parents, I thought a lot about you guys this morning as as the choices you make and how impactful they are for your children, but not only for for the parents today, this morning, but for all of us here. Let's begin with this. Your choices impact you. If you care nothing about anybody else in the world but you, if you are a narcissist, self-centered person, then you need to hear this because your good choices. Now, that's a lot of times we as preachers, we we don't hang out here enough. And everything I'm going to say this morning has a good, a good possibility too. Good choices bring good fruit. Bad choices bring bad fruit. If you've got bad fruit in your life this morning, the great news is, is that you can repent and God's always opening the door to grace and to love and to forgive and to pour another opportunity out on you. But your, your choices impact your life. In Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, the foundations laid, and the Lord God commanded the man. Now, if you're taking notes, the word there, commanded, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. That word means what you think it means. It means it's an order. God wasn't giving them a suggestion. God wasn't giving them a recommendation. God wasn't high-fiving them and saying, hey, if this fits, do it. This, is, this was a command. God was saying, this is what you need to do. He says, you can eat of every tree of the garden. And that must have included the tree of, of life, too, that it's talked about later. You can eat of every tree, but of the tree of knowledge. And that word knowledge does mean mental understanding, but it also means perception. It's like it, it's an it's a experiential knowledge that they were not supposed to have. I don't want you to raise your hands, but many of us who are a little bit older, we have an experiential knowledge of things God never intended for us to experience, right? You, you know that's true, and that's what he's saying here. And if you eat of this, the day you eat of it, you shall die. The word die there literally means 
physical death, but it's stronger than that. It's the same word used later on in the Old Testament for the death sentence. In other words, God says, listen, I'm not giving you a suggestion. I'm giving you an order. This is, this is what you have to do to be square with me. No wiggle room. You don't eat from that one tree. And when you do, the death penalty will be exacted on you. That's what's coming. That's pretty clear. Would you all agree that's clear? Yes, that was very, very clear. Well, obviously not to our great-grandparents. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. And we know from later on in the Bible that the serpent was being used by Satan directly here. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you're not to eat of any tree in the garden? Two weeks from now, we're going to look at how temptation plays out from this. And in two weeks, three weeks, we're going to look at the grace of God in this. But this today is the fruit. And in verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither touch it, lest you die. And look in verse 4, but the serpent, but the devil through the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. God's lying to you about the fruit of your behavior. God's lying to you about the consequences. Don't ever believe that little voice that's whispered in your ear. God knows that when you eat of it, you're going to be just like him. You'll, you'll know good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and she saw that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the trees were to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate too. Folks, here is a real clear teaching from the Bible. God created us with ability to make decisions and choices. You're free to make choices, but you are not free of the consequences of those choices. Did you hear me? God has given us freedom. It would be silly to think he has it. You can play that game all you want. God has given us an ability to make choices, a freedom to make choices, but we are not free of the fruit that those choices will bring us, good or bad, okay? And boy, does it reap some bad stuff down on them. Look in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves lowen cloths. Now, we've kind of joked the last two weeks about the naked part and, you know, the lowen cloths, the fig things. But here's the concept here, and it's, and it's profound. By, by him saying they, they now knew they were naked, it was a loss of innocence. Sin causes you to experience things God never intended for you to experience. God, sin causes a loss of innocence that God never intended for you to experience, that when you and I sin and do things that we shouldn't. And when it says they were naked, it wasn't just me, whoop, we don't have clothes on, you know, go get some fig leaves. That, there was a loss of innocence. Here's the, here's the understanding of it. If you have kids in your home, your little kids are, are up to about age three, maybe three or four, little kids will run around the house naked. Is that correct? Okay. They do. 20 year olds don't need to. Amen. They aren't going to at my house. I promise you. That would be weird. It's, there's nothing wrong with being naked. Now, this is from a preacher. No. In your bathroom, you're getting out of the shower. I'm not in scuba gear. Are you? I mean, when I was little, I had my G.I. Joe in his scuba thing outfit, but I wasn't in scuba gear. That's, that's normal. That's healthy. It would be pretty weird at 8 o'clock on Tuesday morning to be naked on I-20. You agree with me on that? That's what Adam and Eve experienced. Listen to what that word naked means. It, it means a loss of clothes, but it means utterly helpless. It means an utter helplessness. 
And what sin does, man, when you and I sin and we get away from God, the choice, bad choices, it brings a loss of innocence and a helplessness about it. It brings shame. It brings guilt. Listen, it brings distance from other people. Some of you right now, you are mad at somebody and you're distanced from them. If you would look deep enough, it's because of your sin that's created that distance. That's what sin does. Sin's bad stuff and it bears bad fruit. Look in verse 8 through 10. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord, But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Always remember, God always comes through the garden. No matter what you're peddling today, God always comes through the garden. And when when I do things I shouldn't, and when you do things you shouldn't, it creates fear, it creates guilt. Fear didn't exist before this. Isn't that cool? Sin, oh, it, it creates separation with God. See, here's what happens too. We, we feel God's a long way off. And you, and you blame Josh. It's Josh's fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's the music guy's fault. It's my Sunday school teacher's fault. Well, all of us may need to be doing a better job. Maybe it's because you aren't living the way you should and you are creating spiritual separation between you and God. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. The story goes on in verse 11 through 13. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to? The man said, the woman you gave me, coward, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said, the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. Adam and Eve's sin is just so much like ours. When we sin, very seldom, or at least at first, we don't take responsibility. We blame other people. It's, it's your fault I had an affair. It's your fault I took that money. It's your fault I act that way to you. It's your fault. It's your fault. We blame others. There's that guilt and shame. And oh boy, oh boy, does God step in and does he make some, some strict disciplines. Verse 14 through 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. You and humans are going to be enemies. You're going to try to bite their heel, and they're going to try to stomp on your ugly head. Now, here's something to think about, to chew about. Could the snake talk in the Garden of Eden? Obviously. A lot of, a lot of scholars believe the closest picture of heaven we may have is the Garden of Eden before the fall. Does that mean animals can talk in heaven? Won't that be cool? You walk into heaven and that dog you lost 20 years ago is going to be at the gate going, Hey, what's up? Or that cat? Or that pet turtle? Obviously, the serpent could talk. Did the serpent walk? Did it have wings? Listen, I'm not giving you speculation. This is some pretty interesting stuff to chew on. And God said, because you sinned, it's interesting, the order starts in chapter 3 with snake, woman, man. Then God calls the man and then the woman to order. And then when it comes time to mesh out the fruit to them of their behavior, he goes back to the order, snake, woman, man. And he tells the serpent, who obviously could talk and who had some intelligence about it, 
and was able to move around. He said, because you have done this, you're going to crawl on your belly the rest of your life. And when he says you're going to eat dust, that's not a compliment. I mean, if someone said to you today, eat my dust, that's not, they're not saying, hey, brother, I love you, are they? I mean, that's not a complimentary thing to say to someone. It's, it's not. And, and you and I know we have a natural dislike towards snakes. Would you? How many of you agree with that? I do. I promise you I do. Come in two weeks, I'm going to tell you some good snake stories. Let's show a picture of a, that snake we have. Is that not terrible? I mean, all, all that's good for is a, a cowboy boots or a belt. Amen? Or I get Cindy a rattler necklace for Christmas. Wouldn't that be cool? And God said, listen... If you believe the Bible, the, the animosity between the snake trying to bite at our heels and us scared of it, wanting to kill it, started in the Garden of Eden. As a result of their sin, sin always creates distance. It creates enemies of friends. It, it ruins relationships. I thought this was neat. I saw this a few weeks ago. They did a survey, USA Today, asked people about animals and things that they were most afraid of. What made the number one? It was snakes then spiders, and then mice. I, mice don't scare me, but I don't care for spiders. That started in the Garden of Eden. But it doesn't just end with a snake. Now we move to our great-great-grandmother. Look in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Jamie, don't put it on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you go back one chapter to chapter 1, verse 28. God's told the, the people in the beginning, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Apparently, sex and having babies was going to be a normal part of life before the fall and after the fall. The only difference is, he said, Eve, because you have chosen this route, you are going to have a desire for your husband and, and that's a very interesting word. It, it means to long after someone, or it can mean to have an urge for, or it can mean to be impelling toward them, to drive them or to push them. And scholars think it's maybe one or two things. I think it's probably both. The first is this, that, that a woman has terrible pain when they give birth. Is that true, mamas up here? Now, hopefully, they give you enough medicine and you smile as baby comes out into the new world. But it's it's painful thing. And, and what God says is a woman's going to have a baby, and it's going to be very painful, but she's still going to want her husband. One of my close friends was one of our first in our group who had a baby. So he's having his baby, and he tells us he's in there. He's in there in the, the delivery room, ready to catch the baby, you know, as it comes out. And, and uh, his wife screams in front of all the doctors and everything, you will never touch me again in the middle of the pain. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Two years later, they had another baby because, because the pain's real, but the, the, the desire for the husband. Also, there's another thought I think is very realistic here, too, he was saying. That this idea of desire or to drive or impel. God, in the beginning, God made the man never to be the ruler or the dictator, but the leader of the relationship and the woman to be his helpmate. And by the way, those two lead the kids. That's not, not kids leading them. It's the parents leading the kids. And when sin entered, it messed up those relationships. And that word drive or impel can also mean that 
that your husband is going to try to lead you, but your natural inclination, Eve, is you're going to fight him, you're going to want to rule him, and you're going to want to dominate him. And he's going to try to dominate you. And in fact, I think that's part of what it's saying here. Not all women are like that. Not all men are like that. But it's more common than it is uncommon. New Testament addresses it a lot. It says, women, you should be submissive to your husbands, not doormats. But let them lead. Men, you should be loving, gentle leaders. It addresses it a lot because it's a problem. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, Eve brought a lot of stuff on herself, just like we bring on ourselves. And here's Adam, verse 17 and 18 and 19. And he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You've got to get this food, and it's going to be painful to get the food. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the way, in verse 19, the sweat of your face, you shall eat your bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. I spent three hours on Friday just weed eating and uh, spraying weeds. And all the time I'm thinking I'm going to get Adam when I get to heaven. I hate that Adam. I hate that Adam. And the people at Monsanto were thanking God for Adam every day as they make the poison for you and I to spray around our houses. Lesson for you and me, you want to go your own way? You want to do your own thing? God will let you. But you're going to eat the fruit of that. And, and the way away from God is always harder, it's more painful, it's tougher. And God said, ultimately, we're going to die as a result of sin. To dust you were made. The Bible tells us God made us from dust. And that someday dust we, we will return to. I called one of our undertakers in town this week. And I asked him, I said, if we were to go look at a grave 200 years old, old grave without a vault on it, buried in a common casket would there be anything in there here's what he said let's go dig one up and find out you'd have a cool sermon illustration he was joking but he said probably if you did he said there would be maybe some cloth from the clothes and just dirt because we all go back to the dust now by the way if you're a christian your soul and spirit you're going to heaven when you die the bible says someday that body and that dirt and that soul will be reunited but we die because of what happened there? Sin brings death. Some of you are unhappy. You're Christians. You're unhappy. You're unfruitful. You know why? You got stuff in your life. You're making bad choices, and it quenches the Spirit of God in your life. Sin always brings death. Brings death. Let me give you this quote. You've heard it before, but it's so good. Sin always takes us farther than we want to go. It lasts longer than we want to stay, and it costs us more than you want to pay. Sin takes us farther than we want to go. It lasts longer than we want it to stay, and it costs more than we want to pay. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What we sow, we reap. Hey, you eat the wrong fruit, you're going to reap the wrong fruit. You, re- you eat the right fruit, you reap the right results. Here's a great quote, too. You make your choices, and your choices make you. You make your choices. God's not going to tell me what to do. My parents aren't going to tell me what to do. I'm going to be independent and free. That's fine. 
But you make your choices and your choices will make you. The flip side of that, you turn that around. You start doing the God things and the right things. You start making the right choices. And God will bring the good things to you. Here's the second thing. Mom and dads, here's a real drive-home point for you this morning and for all of us. Our choices impact others. They impact others. Hey, here would be a cool thing. If I knew, and see, here's what some of you are saying right now. You're saying this. Well, it's just going to impact me. It just affects me. Nothing could be farther from the truth. When we make choices, choices are going to impact those around us. We're not going to read them again, but in verse 6 and 7, when Adam and Eve made those choices, it didn't just affect them individually. It affected them as a couple. Your, your, your choices, my choices, good or bad, always impact other people. Some people, hey, let's have a Bible study through Revelation. Let's go deep, whatever. You need to get this. You keep messing up. You're going to mess up your kids and your family and people all around you. That's what you need to get. That's, that's powerful. But, and that's true. I doubt very seriously that any sane person ever says, you know what, I'm going to go out and have an affair I'm going to go out and steal money from my company. I'm going to go to the, my kid's ball game and just act like a complete jerk. No, nobody at First Baptist would ever do that. Because I want, to, I want to embarrass my spouse. I want to humiliate my kids. I, I want my family, extended family, to be embarrassed. So I'm going to do something really sinful and wrong. I, I don't think anybody in here would ever do that. See, that's how the devil gets us pulled in, though, is, is that's right. We don't think. We just do it. On the, here's, a, here's a lot gentler, but slipperier slope. We're not going to do anything evil. We just minimize the commands of God. See, that's what a lot of us do. We take it as a suggestion. God says, you need to be in church every week. God, you know what? God, I, we'll work on that. We'll, we'll make it happen when we can. God says, you need to keep your nose in your Bible. I just don't like to read. You need to pray more. Well, I'm, I've kind of arrived. And so you're, you're making choices that aren't necessarily evil or overtly sinful. You're putting things over God. And you are, you are going to have an impact on your kids and those you love, a tremendous impact. You see, here's the second thing that's really big. You make your choices, and your choices shape others. They do. I make my choices, and my choices make me. I make choices. My choices shape and impact and influence other people. And here's the third big thought for us this morning. Your choices can have a bigger impact than you ever imagined. This might be worth writing down in your car. If you need a tattoo, I know a good tattoo guy in town who's sitting over here to my right. Get him to tattoo it on your palm. <laughs> my choices can have a bigger impact than I can ever imagine. Do your choices affect you? Absolutely. Do they affect those closest to you? 100%. But they affect those all around you. In verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you'll bring forth children. You're, you're going to desire, have a desire for your husband, and he will rule over you. Ladies, 
you young ones, you, you have another kid, scream at Eve someday when you get to heaven. Marital problems, strife, relational problems, it comes from Adam and Eve and, and, their, and the sin. Verse 19, or 17 and 18, I won't even read it, but work is difficult and hard. I love my job, but you know, there's times it's just hard, isn't it? That goes back to sin. Hey, the Bible says we're all going to die. You know why you're going to die? Because Adam and Eve sinned. I bet Adam and Eve are nowhere near the pearly gates when you get to heaven. Because if they were, because you know everybody wants to say thanks. Thanks a lot for what you did. But sin entered the world when they sinned. In, in Romans 5, 12, listen to what it says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Do you understand what that's saying there? That when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world. You have a sinful nature. You sin by choice. But you and I have a sinful nature because Adam and Eve sinned. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, we get a little of the positive on the end of this. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ we can be made alive. In other words, there's a positive alternative in Jesus Christ. Write this down and look this up when you get home because this is is profound. In Romans 8, 19 through 22, we, we don't have time to look at it this morning. Romans 8, 19 through 22. Let me paraphrase what it says. It says, when Adam and Eve sinned, nature itself was broken. Nature itself was broken. We have a picture of a tornado. Tornadoes, to me, are, are very scary. Tornado scary to you? But let me tell you what every man in Lincoln Parish does. We have a tornado warning. I promise you, every man in Lincoln Parish goes outside and goes. You know, they're saying, take cover, hide, bury yourself under mattress. And every man I know goes, man, I went out there and I was looking. For, I think I saw it. And, that, of course, none of them did, but they always think they did. How many of you men do that? I do, I, you know, if I'm going to be swept up, I want to see it coming, right? The Bible says, when, when, a, when a tornado hits, we say it's an act of God. Well, God could use a tornado to clean up something if he wanted to. The, the Bible also shows us that Satan uses stuff like that. But, but actually, a tornado or a hurricane is an act of a fallen nature. And, and it says in Romans 8, even nature itself is groaning and waiting until Jesus comes back and sets everything right again. Do you think Adam and Eve actually knew when they sinned, they were going to create problems for thousands of years? No. And, and am I saying your sin or my sin is going to have their impact? No, it can't. But I'm telling you this, you cannot underestimate your good choices or bad choices, how that's going to impact your kids and your grandkids and your, well, I don't have any grand, if you have them, your great grandkids, generations to come. Listen, choices we make as a church are affecting those who may be a hundred years from now for the better or the worse. You cannot, parents, you cannot underestimate the power of your choices to do good or to do harm. We make choices and our choices impact generations to come. I saw this several years ago, and I, I think it's cute, but I also think it's, it's got some profundity to it. There was a, a magazine that did a, had a kind of a contest to sum up your life in six words. 
here was, there were many, many entries. One I like, one tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. Okay, that's funny. You can laugh. That was from some of my kinfolk in Arkansas, I think. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. The psychic said I'd be richer. It's funny too, I think. This one's not as funny. Thought I would have more impact. Hmm. That's probably a lot of our stories. Let me give you nine words. You make your choices, and your choices make you. You make your choices, and your choices impact others. You make your choices, and your choices impact generations to come. So here's my plea today. Get the past right with God. That's all God wants you to do with the past. Get it right with God. And from this point on, you say, Jesus, with your help, I'm going to do everything I can to make the right choices, knowing how high the stakes are. Would you pray with me? This morning, if you're, if you're a Christian, what is God saying to your heart? And what will you do with what God's saying to your heart? If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, but you're ready to come to Him, pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and rose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. I want to give you a couple of choices to make this morning. Maybe you're here today and God's leading you to join our church. You can do it after church. We'll be over here in this corner. We'll help you. Maybe you want to come right now and join us. Listen, it it may sound like it's not a big deal. It could be a choice that changes your life and your families for years to come. Come and join us today if God's leading you to. Maybe you're here as a Christian and you're doing well with these things. Amen. Keep it up. Adam and Eve were probably doing great with these things a day before the bottom fell out. Maybe you're not doing okay. Repent. Maybe where you're standing, ask God to forgive you. Make a commitment. Maybe you want to come pray with the minister, pray at the altar, and say, God, with your help, from this point forward, I want my choices to be about you. I want good fruit. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your life, or you're ready to do that. You have a chance today you may never have again to cross that line with him. I'll talk to you after church or you can come right now and give your life to Jesus. You'll live with the fruits of that.